My name is Easy, and I am an alcoholic. Before I start, I want to recognize Ben, Big Ben, that brought me down here, and he's taking me some other places. And I just want him to stand up because he's a good guy to know. <clears throat> Is he in here? <laughs> we went down to Melbourne. We were invited to go down to Melbourne. The archives got us they were looking up, looking for archives. And I, I looked it up in the dictionary to see what an archive is. And it says, a place where they store old records. So we got down there, and uh, you had to be 50 years old to speak. You had in sobriety, you know, you had to be 50. We had three 50-year-old or more speakers, and we had another four, which were right 40, 45, like that. So we had a lot of sobriety there. And I had to pull some strings to get Ben in because he's only been sober 22 years. But it really is a privilege to be here tonight. And I was last year in Pensacola <clears throat> at this convention in Pensacola at the beach, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know where I've ever been hugged so many times. And the food, everywhere you would reach, there was food. And I just thought that's about as close to heaven I was going to get on this tour. <laughs> but as I say, I'm an alcoholic, and I had a it's a, it's a disease, and I had a lightning case. And I, I also had both feet firmly planted in mid-air, and I had self-will run right. So that just give you a thumbnail sketch of my life. <clears throat> but when I got to AA, I was, com I was welcome. You know, I was welcome when I got to AA. But before I... Uh, I'll start a little bit back and tell you how I drank. Uh, I drank bad. <clears throat> the first time I ever took a drink, they gave me a gallon jug to take a drink to keep me warm. If you've ever drunk out of a gallon jug, you know, you put it on your shoulder and it kind of leaned on it a little bit and it starts going down, and it bur burns all the way, so you know exactly where it stops. <laughs> I took two drinks out of that jug to keep warm now, honest and truly. I was the last bunk boy in our group to start drinking. It was Jack of Hearts, Sunrise Dance, and you had to get up and stay all, probably all night, so we were up all night before we got to the dance. And when we got there, <clears throat> I don't remember much from that point on. <clears throat> and they told me that I was out on, I had isolated myself and was standing apart from all of this group at like four o'clock in the morning, throwing rocks at people. <laughs> now, I, I was started to a dance and I wound up throwing rocks at so apparently it was something that's coiled up inside of me that I didn't know anything about. And waking up in a strange place, saying to myself, well, I know that I won't ever do this again. Oh, no, I won't. And I was, I, I took care of the boys that did drink prior to this time, any time we'd go on a trip. Now, we had a 22-model Nash touring sedan without a top. It had wheels about the size of a locomotive. 
And we had a driver, <coughs> every time he'd run through a creek, we'd get, get him an admiral's hat. <laughs> and one, they kept me on, on, the, on that car because you had to blow in, you had to lay on the fender and blow in the carburetor and make it run. <laughs> and I had enough wind to keep it going. <laughs> But we went to Florida and everything. We went everywhere. But this group of boys, we had a social club, kind of a social club. <clears throat> and we'd have a big dance once a year, and we'd invite our dates. And, you know, we'd have a little uh, present for her to present it to her and give her flowers. And, and I would go to those dances, you know, and I could kind of temper down a little bit. I could dance a little. But as time went on, I kind of broke away from any kind of a drinking because I just, if I drank it, you know, I was going to drink too much. And they told me to watch and see how other people drink. So uh, there was a club I used to go to, and I would sit there and watch. And they say, now just drink on the hour. Just don't, you know, just when the clock strikes the hour, you can drink. So I did for one hour. But there's no, there's no way to control that second drink, you know, let alone the rest of them. So as I say, uh, mine was a Gallatin case. <clears throat> now, in the meanwhile, uh, I got married in 1936, and we had three children, one, two, three. Today, they're 57, 58, 59. Well, you did think, you know, that would draw a little sense out of me. <clears throat> but I had, I counted up how many jobs I had. I'm talking about counting good jobs. And I counted about 15 of them, you know. And I just couldn't keep a job. But I never had any trouble getting another one. And when I finally went to Jacksonville, when I finally went to Jacksonville, I had a letter of recommendation that said he'd be a good man if you can keep him sober. And he gave, me a, he gave me a job. And that's where I stayed sober for 18 months off of having read the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, uh, you would think I would have gotten to a meeting by that time, but in those days, you know, you, you couldn't just find a meeting very easily, you know. But one day I told myself, I said, you know, after you've been sober 18 months, you know a bottle of beer couldn't hurt anybody. It can hurt you. So I got drunk. I always got drunk in the car, and I went. I, I got drunk for 30 days going north, and then I got drunk for 30 days going south. <laughs> Never traveled east or west. <laughs> and they told me it was a disease, you know. Well, as I got back from that second drunk, <clears throat> I, now I had, to, I had to go see this man that had given me these chances, you know, and tell him how sorry I was. And, and I also told him that I didn't think I was through drinking, you know. And he, he, worked, he worked right with me. And, you know, for the first 18 months, I was a bartender down there. I was just doing everything, you know, around alcohol all the time, you know, just kind of taking credit for my sobriety, you know. I didn't intend to because I knew how this program was designed. I knew you had to give it away. And I was still trying to give it away. 
And I had never been to an AA meeting. So at the end of this time, I got my wife. Now, you can't get sober without this wife of mine. She called headquarters, which was New York. And they got a hold of the secretary, and he got a hold of me. And he said, they told me, he didn't even come see me, he just talked me on the telephone. And I said, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready to come. So I went to the, my first AA meeting, November 15, 1942. And uh, I'm glad they told me to attend six meetings before I made up my mind, <clears throat> because it looked more like a first aid station. People's arms were in slings, and they were on crutches, they had bandages on them. <laughs> I see I was 20 some odd years younger than any of them and one of the senior members came up and told me he said you know uh, if I were you I would, I'd go on and do some more drinking I don't think you've been out there long enough <laughs> well I, I said he couldn't see my whole car <laughs> he didn't know how many times <clears throat> He didn't know how much time I had trouble with alcohol. And when you're in the automobile, you're going to have more trouble with alcohol. So I counted up my wrecks from time to time. And it was always $100, six months, suspended, suspended, uh, sometimes suspended. I mean, the jail sentences were suspended, not the, but the driver's license was suspended for six months. And they kept it. They kept my license. It just seemed like I had them overlapping, you know. <laughs> and on one occasion, uh, this officer got me in my car, and I was down on the floorboard trying to dig the accelerator out. It got stuck under the floorboard. <laughs> and it was wide open. And, you know, anybody with any sense would turn the ignition on. But I got out on the floor and started working around there. And about that time, a police officer opened the door and he said, Man, you're drunk. I said, Yeah, but I ain't driving. <laughs> but that, that, that didn't work. That didn't work. He marched me about six blocks to the city hall downtown. And... Uh, I had decided, I tried to talk him out of it and told him I had some other cases up there. And I couldn't get him to do anything about it. So, even believe it or not, there was 14 inches of snow on the ground. So I said, well, I'll have to attack all 130 pounds on me. So I knocked him down right up there outside of the city hall and I tried to run <laughs> in 14 inches of snow. And that man blew a whistle, and I have never seen as many policemen come out of one door. <laughs> but you see, I was always caught before I started. <laughs> and it seemed like every time I'd hit another car, it would be more important. You know, it would be a bigger car, or be more consequences. And I, I look back today as a blessing in disguise, you know, that brought me to my senses and I found Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, those cars, now the last one they hit was a highway patrol car. 
I guess the only one I could hit there than that would be the governor. <laughs> but I felt like when I was drinking in the car, I felt like it would run better and it would not squeak. You did not have a single squeak in the car when you'd had a few drinks. <clears throat> and I remember one occasion, uh, there's another fellow myself, we made up our mind in the bar that we was going to go to Florida that night. So I called my wife up and told her I was going to Florida. She said, no, don't try that. Come on by the house here. So I, we both came by the house and we convinced her we were going to Florida. So she knew what to do. She got in the car and said, well, I'll drive y'all. She, she drove down to Silicaga and we both passed out and she brought us right straight back. <laughs> <laughs> My wife had learned a lot about how to handle an alcoholic. <clears throat> And when I speak of my wife, <clears throat> she was a blessing to me in so many ways. Uh, just a thumbnail skit of her. She having these three children in a hurry and then getting right back on the job. You know, she'd always had a job because my jobs were in and out, you know. And my fines were running pretty high. But uh, later on, she got a write-up in Who's Who uh, of America and uh, personalities of the South, got to be a vice president of a big bank, and all of this, as though I had tutored her so well, you see, <laughs> that she was able to do all these things. But she was a blessing to me, and when we got in AA, she, could, she couldn't do enough for an alcoholic. And I told her, and I said, there's one guy going to come by here I know. I had a front bedroom that had an alcoholic in it all the time. I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and drunks just go through Jacksonville. They don't stop. A lot of times they're on the way to Miami. So I met a strange bunch of people. But uh, she was right with me on all of that. And I, I said today, if, if I, I don't think, if I had taken a Ph.D. course in alcoholics, working with alcoholics, I don't think I could have learned any more than I did from these people. I'd see them getting drunk, and I'd see them trying to get sober, and I'd been, I knew I'd just been through the same thing. But she, she lived with me for 48 years. She put up with me for 48 years. And she said she married me because I, I, she thought I had a soul, and I didn't even know what a soul was. But uh, she... With the children, all of the children today are just great, fine. None of them ever drank anything. They all, none of them, yeah, they're just great kids. All of them love the Lord and on top of it. And that's for her. On account of her, I didn't have a lot to do with that. So <clears throat> this little middle, well, the my, my, my second daughter, you know, I was on, after I came back from Jacksonville to Montgomery, that's Montgomery's where I've been for the last uh 40 some 50 years so but I got in in Jacksonville so we were making a trip back to Jacksonville and I had a new car <clears throat> and had all three children my mother-in-law and my wife in the car and uh, we were on our way uh, to Jacksonville Beach and I always ran a car a little bit faster than what's standard you know so I was speeding <clears throat> And he pulled me over, and he talked real rough to me, and he said, uh, told me he could put me in jail. 
And I said, well, you know, I, I told him I was sorry, you know, and this and that. And, and my daughter now, the little daughter in the back now, she thought Alcoholics Anonymous was just the greatest thing in the world. You know, she'd seen, what she'd seen of AA wasn't, she just thought it was great. And she said, you can't talk to my daddy like that. He's an alcoholic. So he didn't put me in jail. <laughs> but uh, as the time went on, uh, they experimented with me when I got into AA. They experimented with me down in Jacksonville because I was younger. And I had seven sponsors. And I could name every one of them for you. And these sponsors would come to my house, you know. And they'd say, uh, come on, get in the car. I said, where are we going? He said, what difference does it make? We're going, we're going to Miller Sanitarium. They didn't tell me that until I got there. And Miller Sanitarium, where they all drink, you know. Everybody's over there trying to recuperate. And I uh, saw one fellow over there rocking in a straight chair. <clears throat> and I saw, uh, I saw another one. <clears throat> Just hands couldn't go where they were trying to put them. <laughs> And when I left that place, I didn't want to drink. I didn't say a word. I just sat there and watched. So they, they came in a lot. They just tutored me along the road. And I'm so thankful for it today because uh, normally uh, being associated with older people like that, you know, you would. But when I, when I thought about the condition I was in and uh, knowing that they were so good, and, and everybody had been good to me, just great to me. That judge, you know, that judge, I don't know whether I'll ever forgive him. Because <clears throat> he'd always repeat everything I said when I was drunk and when they were arresting me, you know. He told me one, that night, he says, uh, you told him you were 99 years old and that your name was John Henry Jones. And I forget what else. <laughs> But he had to play it back the next morning, you know, after you've been in that drunk tank all night long, you know, you ain't no condition to, to hear all that bad news. But over there, you know, here's a stack of stuff over here of my previous times, you know, he's had me up there. And I started off, now I started off just, they arrested me one time for common drunkness. Common drunk. And I always resented that common part. <laughs> I was with my cousin, <laughs> and we just got drunk. <clears throat> but when I got to drinking, driving while intoxicated, and refusing to pay on a license house, and striking an officer, and things like that, it was a little bit more prestige. <laughs> you know, just common drunk <laughs> is bad. <laughs> but uh, I was learning, I was learning a lot of things, but I was thinking about this thing I saw the other day. It says the the what uh, the people. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> but it was uh, but it fit me. It fit me so well. <clears throat> That I that I had to I had to write it down. 
Here's one I, I came to before I got to that. It said, if your cup runneth over, let someone else runneth the car. <laughs> and it says, this is what they're trying to remember, the wise do at once what the fool does at last. And I said, boy, can I qualify for that? <clears throat> but that's... <clears throat> Some of these other things they were telling me, now these sponsors had a lot of things that they knew and they, they said, the trouble with the hangover is that, that you don't get it until the anesthetic has worn off. <laughs> and I said, I told them this one, I said, when you awake and feel the floor, if it is concrete, you're not at home. There was one man's story in the book. He said, many of you may have drunk more alcohol than I, but none of you, and he was a school teacher at the University of Alabama, they said, none of you had more salopatica. <laughs> <clears throat> and here was the two drunks riding the roller coaster at a carnival, and one turned to the other and said, we may be making good time, but I've got a feeling we're on the wrong bus. Two drunks walking along the street <clears throat> in subway near New York, <clears throat> and they got separated. One of them went down to the subway, and the other one walked on, and then came up later in the next opening there, and they gathered together again. He said, well, where have you been? He said, man, I've been in some guy's basement, and did he have a set of trains? And the, the lady that called it officer, after the drunk hit her and called, called him blind drunk, she said, blind hell, I hit you, didn't I? <laughs> and there were the two drunks walking along the railroad, and one of them said to the other, he says, these, low, these, these wide steps is getting me other than said, ain't that wide steps and some low handrails are getting me. They said, action is the magic word. God could and would if he were so. AA is a very simple program for complicated people. <coughs> Some people ruin their own health by drinking to everybody else's health. <clears throat> now these are things they told me, you know, my sponsors told me these things that kind of set me free at times when I was about ready to drink. They said, you don't have to get there by Thursday. And I got to thinking about that. You'd always feel like I had to go on like that. And they told me this. They said, only an idiot is happy all the time. <laughs> they said, you know, that's a consolation. 
And they said, first things first. Well, I thought anybody knew that, you know, but I didn't. And then they said, easy does it. They said, it is much easier to ride a horse in the direction he is going. <laughs> Another thing they told me, that misery is optional. And they told me that the AA plan, the 24-hour plan, is AA's secret weapon. He says, look to the members, look to the principles in AA and not to the members. The program will not let you down. And then, then they told me, you can't be grateful and hateful at the same time. But these were things that they had learned, and they hadn't been in AA too long, but they just sunk in to me and the way that I was receiving this program, it just lifted me up. It just lifted me out of the ditch. <laughs> and uh, I just don't have words, you know, to tell you how much it meant and how I w was in a state of recovery there that I didn't really realize it was even possible. But when I read this book, when I read this book, Alcoholics Anonymous, for the very first time in my life, I knew I always thought I was the only one that had that kind of much problem with alcohol. And then when I got in AA, I just felt like I was a panty waist compared to some of them. I drank a period of about 12 years, and uh, about six of those years was with my after I was married. And that was, of course, the worst part. The, always the, the last part is the worst part. But when I speak of everybody being good to me, now I've had, <clears throat> I had some 20 odd jobs prior, altogether prior to getting into AA. I had I was sold everything you could sell, and I traveled four states and drank up, and I drank up. <clears throat> I had, I traveled four states with drinking privileges. That's what I was trying to say. But I met a lot of drunks, <clears throat> and. Uh, this uh, this one thing that was sticking in my mind is that this is going to be great. Now, as I say about these employers now, but my last employer I worked for for 33 years, and then I retired, and I, they gave me a a meeting, and I was the most unorthodox salesman in the world, you know. I didn't follow any rules, you know, and I was in trouble all the time, management. And when I got out of high school, uh, I worked in the theater. Went right downtown, got a job as an usher in the theater. And you know, in the theater, you work off about two hours, and then you're off one hour, and then you go back to work two hours, just in the peak loads. And I was working like that. And there was a busy room right upstairs over there. <clears throat> so I just go up there and sit down, you know. The first thing you know, somebody's asking me to play, you know. And you know, if you play pool, you don't play for fun. <laughs> Everybody plays for money. So I was making almost $11.70 a week. And if I'd gotten to be chief usher, I would have been making, pulling down $15 a week. So I learned to play pool. And I 
there was some strange fascination to that game to me. The color of those balls, you know. I was kind of disregarding the the, uh, the location and the type of people I was playing with, you know. Some I picked up a higher class later on. But uh, I think that was a disease, one of the diseases. <clears throat> Because I'd quit smoking. I had an Indian chief cause me to quit smoking. And he weighed 347 pounds. And he said, boy, what are you smoking them things for? He had a voice. He could break a wall with that voice, you know. I said, well, it's just a habit. And he said, well, why don't you form a good habit? I said, like what? I worked with him. He said, you really want to quit? And I weighed 130 then. And he, he said, how would you like to weigh 175 pounds in six months? And he weighed 347, so I figured he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I like that. <clears throat> so he outlined the program for me while we were working. You know, I was lifting weights and we was going to the lunchroom at 10 o'clock in the morning lunch, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then I, when I got home, I'd start eating out of the refrigerator, eat supper, and then get up during the night and eat. Just hungry all the time. I was taking a lot of exercise. <clears throat> right at the peak, right at the peak of this exercise, my pool playing got real good. As a matter of fact, which is not bragging, but it happened, I ran eight racks of nine ball on a big table. And I ran two racks of uh, 15 balls, regular 15 balls. I ran two consecutive racks of 15 balls without racks. Not on the bar table, but on a real Brunswick tough pocket table. So I was feeling so good, I'd rather walk, I'd rather run than walk. Now that's just how good I felt. And I was about, at that time, I was about 31, 32 years old. <clears throat> And that took away my desire to smoke. For the first two years, I ate a couple of hundred dollars worth of mints. But outside of that, you know, and you know, if you go to a party and you don't drink and you don't smoke, you got at least four hands. <laughs> you look at You don't know where to put anything. But uh, I was taught... <clears throat> I was taught so many things in AA that, that I couldn't have gone to any school in the world and learned things that, that AA had taught me. And you know, there's this spiritual part of AA, you know, in the, in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, God's name is in seven of them. His name or the reference to him. So I said, it must be important if it's, it's in there seven times. So I was raised like most people in the church, you know, and I just <clears throat> just go because I had to, really, because I had to go. But after I had seen some of the things that I'd seen in AA, you know, I knew there really was a God, you know, and I knew that I needed to know a lot about him because I would just, I'd heard about him, see, but I didn't know him really. But I thank AA for that, for bringing me to that point in my life. <clears throat> and I had been in AA for some 33 years at a time when I had the real most spiritual outbreak I ever had. 
And it was just, it was just opened the doors to me to things that were just so much greater than I had ever seen before. And my wife now, my wife now, she, she was, she was hunting, it, hunting it everywhere. She was hunting it from Edgar Casey. She was hunting it from all these different places because she said, "I know there's something more than just just what's here. I know there's something more." So she got tied up with Edgar Casey, and she got talked me into going all the way to Atlantic City. Now, see, I'd been sober at that time some time, and she'd take me to she'd take me to some kind of symphonies and stuff that I never would have gone to. You know. I just kind of felt like I owed it to her. <laughs> so she took me up there, and those people didn't have the right look on their face, you know. And I don't know why, but they all look like, I'm not making any reference here, but they all look like they're all red-headed and frowning. And I thought, well, we must be in the wrong place. And I began to suspicion something because when we got there, the weather dropped 40 degrees. <laughs> and it was in the middle of the summertime. <laughs> so I was learning some things not to do, and I was learning some things to do. And then she started taking me to full gospel meetings. Now, some of you may have belonged to it, may know something about it. But I latched on to that because I could understand that, you know. And I had seen some, some tremendous things happen. <clears throat> and I met a guy one time that I just loved, and he used to shoot poo. You know? <laughs> I met some, I met, I met some, uh, I met some real strange people and some great people, you know. All these different activities that I had. But one time I was, the, I was the deacon in the church. And I was going to AA, and I was shooting pool, and uh, whatever else. And uh, I saw a fellow on the street. I said, man, where were you last night? You missed a good meal. He looked kind of funny at me, you know. And he was a deacon in the church, so I thought he was an AA member. <laughs> 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 But the, the one, one thing I was doing, I, I mentioned this when I talked down in uh, Melbourne, down there, to, and I, I thought this was funny, but uh, Milton Burrow liked to go to nursing homes, you know, and he would go there to greet the ladies and the men that were sick. So he went up and put his arm around this lady, this elderly lady, and she was in a wheelchair, and uh, he said, honey, do you know who I am? She looked at him and said, no, but if you'll check the front desk, they'll tell you. <laughs> and this, this minister that we got in AA, this minister that we got in AA was... Um, He's, he spoke, and I since he's passed on, I guess his name was Sam. And Sam was a good preacher, and he had a church in Atlanta, and he lost that church. I didn't lose it. He was promoted to a church in New York. And he got to New York, they said that he was anemic, and the doctor prescribed a milk punch. 
So he began drinking the milk punch, you know, and had this, and egg, and then milk, and the sugar, and then a jigger of whiskey or some alcohol. So he started taking this as a tonic. Well, to make a long story short, uh, he got down in the gutter. In other words, he was he was gone, and they, they brought him back. But uh, he would tell me this. He said, now, you want to be embarrassed like I would. He made a talk in Montgomery, and I drove all the way to Mobile here the next night. He said, when you fall in the grave, when you're preaching it, he said, when you stick your head up that, that, out of that grave, coming out of that grave and looking at all them people, he said, man, you're embarrassed. <laughs> and you know, I know, I know of two times, I know the two, ti- two times that that's happened in AAs. I know of another time over in Tuscaloosa, the same thing happened. He said, that grass is slippery. <laughs> but Sam... Sam Daughtry, he put it like this. Uh, he was uh, telling about the drunk that had tried everything. He tried everything but the church. So he said, I've tried everything, so I'm going to try it. So he found a church right downtown, and he got the seat down the center aisle, and no one needed to listen to the preacher. And the preacher's text was, Peter's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. The drunk couldn't figure anything about that to get him sober, you know. So he listened for a long time for the whole thing, and then he got up and discussed it and said, well, I know it's not for me. So in the afternoon, he had a change of mind. He went over to the other side of town, and he went to this church thinking it may be different over here. So he got there, and he thought he recognized that minister, you know. And it was sure enough, it was the same minister with the same text. Peter's wife, mother, lay sick of a fever. So he withstood it, and the next day he was on the bus, and about that time the preacher boarded the bus and stepped on it and sat right down beside him. And the bus traveled two or three blocks, and then it stopped for a funeral procession. So the preacher looked at the drunk and he said, I do wonder what dear soul could have passed on said, it could have been Peter's wife's mother. She had a bad day yesterday. <laughs> 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 but I have met so many personalities. I met one of them. Was the, he was the mayor of Miami Beach. And I don't want to forget to tell you that I met Bill Wilson. But the mayor of Miami Beach was telling how many nights he had, he could, we'd invite him to Montgomery to speak. And he told his story about how many nights he had spent in his own jail down there in Miami. <laughs> we had a judge in Selma, and he had his 30 vital statistics. And he had spent much time in his jail over there. He was in this city, you know, he's the one that waited on drunks. And he had to spend time in his jail. But he came to Montgomery Day, and they all came to Selma, and then later on there's a group organized over there, and he just celebrated their 49th birthday here just a few weeks ago. But we did a lot of that. We did a lot of going out and starting new groups. We did it in Jacksonville. We did it in Montgomery. 
And uh, it just seemed like this would catch on wherever we'd go. So I was going to tell you about the time in Jacksonville when uh, Bill Wilson came down to talk to us. And this was a great time. We were gathered in a hotel. And I'd say we got started about 8 o'clock, like most AA meetings, and he talked maybe two hours, you know. And then uh, when the meeting was over, we got him seated over there in the corner, and we got, we got sat there until almost 4 o'clock in the morning asking him questions. You know, told him I, I was having trouble, people sleeping in the club room, starting fires, playing cards, coming to the meeting and play cards and then when the reading starts they go out and <laughs> go to the meeting and come back to play cards and all the problems we were having and Bill said this he said well he said the good things in AA will stick he said the bad things will eliminate themselves and he was a he was a man that just seemed like he had the answers to things and that he had the courage and it was uh, and when he met Dr. Bob, <clears throat> Dr. Bob <coughs> served over 5,000 alcoholics in his hospital. And one of the members was in Jacksonville, Florida. He'd been sober a couple years more than I, worked for Procter and Gamble. And he was one of the last, no, Dr. Bob was the last one that called on him begin his sobriety. By now it's about 57, 58 years ago. And when you, when you look around to that and see how deep-seated Alcoholics Anonymous it is and where on earth we could find a program like this that would provide something for the whole family. It just stand out there, you know. And if we had a banner to put up, I think the banner would be, the banner over us is love. Because love is what the alcoholic has for another. And I'd, I've told people I'd go anywhere, even if I just had to say a silent prayer, you know. Just a silent prayer, because I'd never be able, and I made this statement that I, if they, anywhere they ever ask me to go, I don't care it is, I'm going to go. They say, is it all possible? If somebody asks me to talk, I'm going to talk. <clears throat> the best way to get them not to ask you is make a bad talk. <laughs> but I care, uh, this fellow, Algie Stowers, was a, a great member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He died here a good many years back. And I, I hauled him around, just like men hauling me around, uh, to all of And they'd call him from everywhere to talk, you know. And he he was amusing, I'm telling you. He, was, he knew everybody in Montgomery. knew the middle name, last name. And he, he'd get on the telephone when he's drunk. He'd call the President of the United States, the gov <laughs> governor, everybody. And if anybody had a southern drawl, he had one, you know. And uh, I remember his mother, his mother, Miss Susie, had the Tangerine Cafe right downtown. And I'd, I went to Asheville, North Carolina, to a convention some great years ago. <clears throat> and they were there, you know. And all the people that I met over there. And I went to, tell you about the time I went to San Francisco, <clears throat> uh, my wife had a bunch of women, bankers, and she was having a 
party for him and uh, she asked them to send up a bar and they sent the bar up and said they didn't have a bartender. So she looked at me and said, can you tend bar? I said, yeah, I can tend bar. I'd been, oh, I'd been putting the clouds up all day. This, had to, this was back when it was an astronaut, it was an astronaut party. And we had 400 martinis in plastic bags. So I figured it wouldn't be much trouble to mix them up. But I was there, and, and I, I noticed as, as these women were beginning to drink, they, you know, they were just kind of stiff and all, and then they were gone. They just got more lovely all the time. You know? And they put their arm and this is a lovely person, you know. And, and I could see, you know, how, how alcohol was doing the trick for them. So anyhow, <clears throat> the next morning I needed a, a meeting, sure enough. So I went to headquarters. That was on about the 12th floor of a building there. And they said, uh, I said, when's the next day? And he said, in Chinatown at 12 o'clock. So I marched over to Chinatown. And I went there. I had to walk three flights of stairs to get up there. I never would have made it today. <laughs> but uh, it was just the same good thing, whether you're in San Francisco, or you're in Dothan, Alabama, or Birmingham, or just anywhere, you couldn't find a brotherhood or a sisterhood that would just take you in. And you can just with the, with the tools that we have to work with, I just think there's nothing that's impossible. And I just like being a part of it because for me, it has been more than I can really express. And I thank you all.